Well, we start a new series today. Uh, what is the church? And specifically, we're titling it, Why Penn Valley Church? Uh, you know, you, you got to think on a lot of Sunday mornings, why, why do I bother showing up? Like, why, why do I come here? What value does it have? Uh, why do I give my time, my energy, my resources to this thing called church? Why, why do I engage with the various different people of the church? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to dive into that over the next several weeks. Um, again, we've looked at the book of John. What did God do for us? We just looked at Hebrews. We said that God is, is better. Christ is better than anything we could ever imagine. And so now what? Now what do we do as we move forward if we're going to commit our lives to Christ? And I think that's why it's important for us to understand what is this thing that we call church? And again, specifically, why Penn Valley? Why this collective group of people are we going to hang out with and, and, and do things together and invest in this community, right? We just talked uh, about how Steph has spent five years in the makings with this park project. Why would we bother to do this? Because again, there's a lots of other things that I'm sure we'd rather be doing. I'm sure there's lots of other people we'd rather be talking to. I'm sure there's a lot of other things we'd rather be doing on a Sunday morning than waking up early after a long week of work and then coming here. And so this is what we're going to be trying to understand. Uh, why Penn Valley Church, right? Why, why do we paint buildings in, in, in poor countries? Why? Why do, we, why do we gather together and have meals together? Why, do we, why have we put on a fair in the past and, and invited people from the community to come to our grounds? Okay, why are we doing all of the things that we're trying to do? Okay. Uh, so if you have your book, uh, your Bible, and you can open up to Acts chapter 2. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory here, uh, to get to the book of Acts... Uh, so we have the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we have the life, death, ministry, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and in that process, he, he gathers these disciples and he begins to train and teach these disciples. And, and they begin to, to do ministry together, right? They come alongside Christ and they watch him perform all these miracles and, and has compassions on all kinds of people. And then again, he gives his life over onto the cross. And then in Matthew 16 and John 14 to 16, we, he starts to talk about this idea of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He, he says, look, you guys need to know that I, I, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to go away and, and the world's going to hate you. And, 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 but it's OK. The Holy Spirit will come and he will help guide you in this process. And then in Matthew 16, 18, we actually see the first mention of the word church in the scriptures, right? P Jesus is talking to Peter uh, and he says, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, upon Peter's profession of faith that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. And so uh, out of all of this, uh, this confession then, then we, we get to finally Acts, the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is uh, a story or the historical account of the spread of Christianity. So Jesus dies, uh, comes back in the resurrection. And then in Acts chapter one, he ascends up into heaven and basically is like, here you go, disciples. This is what I've been telling you to do. This is what I've been raising you up for, that you are going to go out and you are going to spread my message all around the world. 
And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends. The disciples there are now gathered in the area of Jerusalem. Now, the reason why they're actually gathered in the area of Jerusalem is for what is known as the Feast of the Weeks uh, or the the Feast of the Harvest. Uh, So in Leviticus 23, the, the Lord had commanded these Israelites and he said, look, you are to go to Jerusalem 50 days after Passover And you are to make sacrifices, and you are to make sacrifices of the wheat that is now being harvested. And this is a sign to you of my provision in your life. So every year, Jews from all around the world would come back to Jerusalem, and they would gather for this Feast of the Weeks, and they would celebrate again God's provision. So that's why they're all gathered into this place. Now... Let's take a look at what actually happens as they are gathered. So again, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So here they are. They're all gathered again. They're celebrating what God has told them to celebrate, the the God's provision, that the harvest has come. And they're all there gathering together. And then all of a sudden, the sound of this violent wind comes. And then all of a sudden, what seems to be this spirit of fire is now resting upon their heads. And they all start speaking in languages that they understand one another. Right? Language is to say, I, I couldn't speak your language, but I hear what you're saying, and, and I'm speaking your language now. And they're confused. And they're like, what is going on? What is happening here? So what does this mean for the church? Why is this a significant portion of the scriptures as we begin the book of Acts, as, as the word of God is now going to spread throughout the entire world? Well, first off, let me just clarify something here. When we talk about speaking in tongues, we're not talking about a babbled language that only the Spirit could understand. When we go to the actual Greek, it is very clear that it is a known, audible language. Furthermore, the fact that they say we could hear them in our own language means it's as if you and I were learning to speak Spanish or learning to start speaking German all of a sudden. Okay? So again, it's not some sort of babbled language that only the Spirit understands. So then as they're here, the fire descends upon them on their heads. Now, when we look in the Old Testament, 
Fire is oftentimes the symbolic presence of God. We saw that in Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham has a vision and he says, I want you to take these animals and, and you're going to cut them into two. And then the spirit of God or the fire of God passes between these animals. We see it in Exodus 3 when Moses is called to the burning bush and he says, take off your sandals. You were on holy ground. Exodus 13, remember, as the people began to, to leave Egypt, right, this pillar of fire would guide them at different parts of the day. Exodus 19, when Moses comes up to the law to get the law on Mount Sinai, and he says that it's like a mountain that is just smoking as, as flames of a furnace are coming out of it. We see it in 1 Kings 18. Remember Elijah when he challenges the prophets of Baal and, and they're, all, they're all dancing and chatting around this fire and nothing happens. And then Elijah takes his big pot of water and he keeps dumping on his fire and then he prays to God and then what happens? This consuming fire comes down. And Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel has this vision of God where he's on this chariot and it's got these four corners and these wheels and it just looks like this chariot is on fire. Okay, so fire again is often the symbolic presence of God. So what we're saying here is that the presence of God has now just descended upon his people. And it uses, the actual word they use is actually divides and not separate. Because when we use the word separate, it means something unique and something different. When we use the word divide, what we're saying is, is we're taking a whole and we're splitting that up. But it's the same essence. So it's the same presence of God that is resting upon each and every one of those individuals that are there. Now, why the fire? Right. Because, again, God can do anything. So why does he choose this fire to come down? Well, he's just been talking again about this thing called the Holy Spirit. And there's kind of some, I don't want to say confusion, but lack of understanding of what it is. It's really a relatively new concept for them. And so this becomes a visible sign of the presence of God in their lives. Because, see, they understood God. They could look around the world and say, yes, there are trees. We have the wheat harvest. Rain comes down. Right. That is God. We, we, we had the pillar of fire. We had the cloud. We saw Moses's face was radiating God's glory. We get and understand that there is God. And then Jesus shows up. And for some of them, it was a little bit harder to understand that Jesus was God in human form. But they slowly began to accept, oh, I get I get who this guy is. I get that Jesus, when he claims I am, that he's claiming his divinity. Now, obviously, a lot of people and a lot of Jews did not recognize Jesus as God. And even today, there still is that struggle to understand that. But now we have this thing called the Holy Spirit. This idea of the Trinity. Again, they're, they're walking through history right now. God is slowly un, 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 um, revealing and unfolding his story to them. They are literally living out the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament and go, oh, I know exactly what's happening because I read it in the book of Acts. Right? This, this didn't exist when Pentecost happened. God didn't start creation and say, look, 
I'm going to tell you in the very beginning, I'm going to put all these books together. We're going to call it the Bible. You know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into slavery and then you're going to come out of it. And you're going to fight these people. This guy, Jesus, is going to come. Right. He's going to come right. This is exactly who you're waiting for. And then Jesus is going to die and he's going to resurrect. Okay, he, he doesn't do that. Again, it's a slow unveiling of his history. Now, at the same token, we do know that, again, God was periodically laying seeds and, and alluding to who this man Jesus was going to be in time and, and that they would understand what was going on. So when he starts talking about the Holy Spirit, they're like, this Holy I, I don't understand what you're talking about. So in John 14, 6 and 26, he talks to them and he says, there's going to be another counselor that's going to come when I'm gone. He, he's going to guide and direct you. And in Luke 24, 49, he says, when I'm gone, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until my power comes down upon you. And then Luke picks that up in Acts chapter 1 and he reiterates the same thing, that my power is going to come down upon you. And these disciples are like, what is this power? What is this Holy Spirit? Well, he said, look, remember? Remember when I told you at the baptism, Mark, Matthew, Matthew 3 and Luke 3? I said, remember John baptized with water? And I'm telling you that when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize with fire. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he's been telling them little by little of what this is going to look like. So that way, when it happens, you know exactly what is going on. And that's going to be the presence of God. And so when we go through the book of Acts then it's not surprising that all of a sudden the disciples start doing these outward expressions of miracles, like, like healing people. Uh, and and we, we have the, the speaking of in tongues, right? Because again, these are visible signs that the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in these people or the casting out of demons. That the, the presence of God has now come to dwell within your hearts, so the, the Holy Spirit shows up. They get it now. I understand. I can visibly understand what's happening. And now this inward is starting to develop in, in, in my understanding of it. So then he goes on right from there. And he just starts to list all of these different groups of people. And so if we look, take a look at the map. When he starts to talk about these people, right, he, he, he swings over there uh, where the area of, of the Medes are, uh, of the eastern part of the empire. And then he swings back into Jerusalem in that middle area of the Middle East. And he starts talking about the people in the northern part and talking about the people of the southern part. He mentions the people that are from Rome. And then he says the Jews and the converts to Judaism, which means if you have Jewish people and you have converts to Judaism, that means those people are the Gentiles. So I've covered the Jews and I've covered the Gentiles. And then he goes on and he talks about these other groups of people. And he says, you know, the, these Cretans who were the uncivilized people, right? We, we ever heard that phrase and you call somebody a Cretan? That was the idea that the people of Crete were very uncivilized and they were liars and they were cheats and swindlers. They had a bad reputation in that empire. And then he mentions these people of the Arabs, this nomadic group of people that the Romans would have looked down upon because they weren't settled like everyone else in the world. And so I think what Luke is trying to do here, he's trying to give us a very clear picture. What he's trying to say to us is, look, 
When the Holy Spirit came down upon God's people, he has covered the entire compass. He has covered the entire world. He says, look, it doesn't matter if you were male or female, young or old, black or white, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. All of the world is being covered now of God's people. We are one collective presence. One collective divine Holy Spirit that has come down upon his people. So again, what does this mean for the church? Well, here's what it means. When we talk about Pentecost, which is, again, the 50 days after, this is the formation of the church that we talk about today. This is the birth of the church. And that word church is the word ecclesia. It means a called out. It's an assembly. It's a gathering of people that have come together. Throughout his scriptures, we see this. Ephesians 2. He's talking about the hostility between Jew and Gentile that existed. And then in Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, he says, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, We were all given one spirit to drink. Galatians 3, so in Christ Jesus you are are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You were all one in Christ. And in Ephesians 1, God has placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Again, this is the collective group of God's people from every walks of life. There is a universality to this. He's saying the entire universe, anybody that puts their faith in me, that puts their faith in Christ, will be given the Holy Spirit. That will be a deposit guaranteeing that you are my child. That we have been united by his blood when he went to the cross to die for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he raised again three days later to demonstrate the validity of what he said, that I am God. That is what unites us together. And when I say that's what unites us together, it unites us with the believers that are over at Ladies Church down the road. And it unites us with the believers that are over at Calvary of Soderton. It unites us with our fellow believers of the Karis Church that are in Ohio, in Indiana, in Florida, and in California. It unites us with our fellow believers that are up in Canada and down south in Uruguay. It unites us with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the underground churches of things in the Middle East and in the places of China. We collectively together are one unified church under the headship of Christ. Now, at the very same token, we say that there is the universal church. We also know that there is the local church. Because we see that in scriptures. Because when the letters are being written, they're being addressed to specific churches. Paul writes to the saints in Ephesus, to the churches in Galatia, 
or to all who were in Rome or to the church of Penn Valley. So collectively, there is the universal church and then there is the local church that exists. And so as part of the local church, we're part of the universal church. And if you're part of the universal church, you should be part of your local church. And again, what is the church? It's a called out group of people that he has assembled, that he has gathered together for his purpose. Now, Adam, I thought this series was about what is the role of the church, because all you've done so far is tell us who the church is. Well, I wanted to make sure that we are absolutely clear who we understand the church is. Again, people who have put their profession of faith in Jesus Christ have been given the Holy Spirit. That is the collective nature of the church. Okay, so now what? So if that's who we are, what, what, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, now we need to go back to the Old Testament here. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and he calls him out? And he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he brings them over to the land of Canaan. And he makes this promise to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, the world is going to be blessed. He says, Abraham, through you, the divine Savior is going to come and redeem this world. And then his people go down because of famine, go down to Egypt. They are enslaved. And then God raises up Moses to redeem them. And he pushes them out of Pharaoh's hand and into the promised land. And as they're wandering through the desert, God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and he says, I'm going to give you a series of instructions here. And the reason why I'm going to give you this series of instructions is because I want you to know how you are supposed to live in regards to me as your Lord and as your God. And so he goes through this long list of all the things that his people are supposed to do. One of them, again, being the church, being the harvest of the weeks that you're to come back and gather here to recognize my provision for you. And then in it, here's what he says in Exodus 19. He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, look, I called you. I called you, Israel. I called you, Abraham. I called you out to this place. I told you that, that you were going to be my children, my treasured possession, my special people on this world. Out of any people group, I have called you for this specific purpose. And we spent a lot of time talking about what the job of a priest was. When we went through the book of Hebrews, again, a priest stood in the gap between God and man. And he made sacrifices on behalf of man to God. Right? He, he stood in that gap as a barrier and, and, and tried to bring about God's holiness to the people. And we talked about how Christ was the ultimate priest. He was the ultimate high priest. He was the final sacrifice once and for all. 
And so he says, as a nation, what I need you to do is I need you to be holy. I need you to be separate. I need you to be set apart from every other group, nation, tribe, country that exists in this world. Because the way that you live is going to be the visible expression of me in this world. So if this is how the pagans live, then you're going to do the opposite. If the pagans say to do this, you're going to say the opposite. Because you're going to be set apart from them, and I'm going to set you apart as holy, as sacred, as my chosen people, so that as the world looks at you, they're going to see me, and they're going to worship me. So we see that in the Old Testament. But now we're the church. We're the church. And 1 Peter 2 says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, now, Hear this, the church is not a replace, replacement for Israel. God will fulfill his promises to the people of Israel, to the Hebrews, to the Jews that he made long ago. But what he has done now is he said, now I'm going to take Jew and I'm going to take Gentile. I'm going to put them together and they're both going to be called the church. And they're going to do what I want them to do, which is to be a royal priesthood, a chosen possession you are going to be a holy nation that is going to proclaim my praises. You are going to proclaim people out of darkness and into light. So as the church, what is our job? What is our role? We are a model to this world. We are a model to a holy God that created this entire universe. And as a church, we are to stand apart from the rest of culture and from the rest of this world. And when it proclaims its lies and evil tendencies, we will deny and reject them because that does not de define or distinguish or exemplify the holiness of God. And Penn Valley is no different. We are not a church that gathers here on Sunday to pat ourselves on the back and feel good that I did something religious. We're not a church here that decides that it's, it's just going to show up and, and say a couple messages and, and feel good about ourselves. We're not going to be a church that just throws a, a little money into the offering plate and we give a little money to some outside organizations so, again, we feel good about ourselves as people. No. What we expect here at this church is that when you hear the word of God preached, that it would radically transform your life and your heart, that it will cause you to live and think differently apart from what the world says, that is the expectation of this church. 
Because God has called us to be a model to this world. And that's what this church wants to be in this community and in this state and in this country and to the ends of this world. We are going to stand and we are going to exemplify and glorify who our Lord and Savior is. So we're not a building. Understand that. We are not an organization. We are not a social club. We are not a religious institution. We are a group of people that have been called out by God to live differently, to be set apart, to be a model of the love that God offered through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So what is church? Church is not something you come to. Church is not something that you do. Church is who you are. Because if you put your faith in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, then wherever you go, the church goes. So when you are at work, you are the church. When you are at school, you are the church. When you were at a family function, you were the church. When you were at a community park, you were the church. When you were in the grocery store, you were in a church. When you are in a heated argument with someone, you are the church. When you are the love and hands of someone that is broken because of loss, you are the church. That is what God called us to be. And we will continue to do that here at Penn Valley. We will be a family of families that loves the Lord unconditionally and is willing to sacrifice the way that he sacrificed for us. Because what we understand and what we know is that our Lord and Savior came and died for our sins. And there is no better life than living that, than having that joy and hope of what exists. And we want to glorify him for all that he has done from now until the day that we have died. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to get comfortable as being the church on Sunday. We can put on our Sunday best. We can put on our smiles. We can say all the nice things that we need to do. But Lord, you're 24-7, 365. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a group of people that continues to love on this community around us. And the way that we love on them, that it would cause them to question and say, what is so different about you guys? Why do you, why do, you do what you do? Why do you love? Why do you care? Why, why do you give freely of your time and energy and your resources? You don't know me. But God knows you and God loves you. And as a church, we want to love this community that same way. So, Lord, continue to pierce our hearts. Continue to transform us to be a holy nation that is being called out, that just exudes your glory, that exudes your love, your compassion, and everything that you are, because, Lord, your essence and your presence reigns within us. Lord, I pray for opportunities this week, this month, this year. Let each of us see with our eyes and hear it 
with our hearts those moments that cause us to proclaim Jesus died on the cross, that he loves you. Thank you for taking a bunch of sinful people, Lord, and loving on us and putting us together and saying, this is the group that I'm going to use to change the world. Through the power of my spirit, I will renew them day by day, and they will do wonders and miracles in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.